Hey, uh, today, every year, we spend a little bit of time just talking about vision. And, and we're starting that today. And uh, we talk about the subject of giving and generosity. So if you're visiting with us, I want you to know you picked a perfect Sunday to be here because you're going to get to hear a lot about what we're really about as a church. Um, because one of the, our core values as a church is we want to have a spirit of generosity. Uh, I, I ask myself this question sometimes in relation to our church. Both presently and in the future, what will our church be known for? Well, I don't know what your impression of that is. Like if I went around and interviewed you, like what's your impression of our church? What's our church all about? I just want to let you know my heart with that is I could care less if we're known for our theology or even our style of worship. I want to be known for how we loved and impacted the city and community that we're in. I want, when people talk about our church, I want to be like, man, they're everywhere. They're all over the place and they're serving and they're giving and they're just, they're everywhere. And they've got their stickers on the back of their cars and they're such courteous and polite drivers. These are the things that I want to hear. But I want to make an impact. The truth is we're a pretty big church. I want to let you know, we, this is our fourth week, I think, doing three services now. And if you're new around here, you may not have known that. We, had, we added a third service. Uh, the biggest reason why was because we were full in our kids' rooms. We needed some space in our kids' rooms. And so we started a third service. And I want to let you know it works. Like we were able to spread out our kids almost perfectly and evenly across the three services to where now we have space in the kids' rooms. Uh, but I also want to let you know that it's helped us to grow. Uh, last week, we had 500 more people last week in that service than we did in the same service the year before. So 500 more people, the same, same weekend. So I'm so thankful for that. And I want to thank you because, because you come to this service, it's giving space in our 10 o'clock service, which is, which is a huge thing because the, that, that's what we would call in the church what kind of a primetime service, which means it's a service that people would prefer to come to because of how they kind of have their day and everything. And you may be like, no way. I, don't, I would not prefer that. I like sleeping in. 1130 is awesome. But some of you, it is a little bit of a sacrifice for you to come to this service instead of the 10 o'clock. And I want to thank you for doing that because you are helping us make room for more people and more souls. And so I appreciate that. But today, I want to talk to you about the subject of generosity and, and, and talk about a, a biblical perspective on this. Because... I, I'm thankful that we're a part of a large church because I think that means we can do big things for the community. But I also know this, that takes every individual doing their part. And, and I, I, I'm thankful if you enjoy attending here, but I, I want way more for you than just a church for you to enjoy attending. I want this to be a place where you experience the fullness of everything that God has for you. And one of the primary ways that that happens is how you partner with the body of Christ in your spirit of generosity. Like just how you give. There's this, this passage of scripture. Honestly, it's, it's kind of punchy, but I think it, it does speak directly to who we are in our culture, the way that we live, it relates to us. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says this, command those who are rich in this present world. And I want to stop right there because some of you are like, okay, you said the word rich. I'm not rich. 
None of this applies to me. And you may think that that's true unless you have perspective, uh, especially a global perspective, uh, especially a perspective of, of how you live in comparison to maybe a, lot, a way a lot of other people live around the world. And I want to let you know, what I'm getting ready to tell you is not about a guilt trip. You just have to understand you are blessed. But how many of you rode in a vehicle when you came to church this morning? How many of you rode in some sort of vehicle? I see a lot of people are running to church. That's cool. We want to be a more healthy culture. That's awesome. I appreciate you doing that. But there's more hands than that. But some of you will never raise your hand in church no matter what I ask you. But but most of us drove in a vehicle. And a large percentage of us, uh, maybe some of you be willing to ask, answer this question. How many of you had your car parked in a garage last night? How many of you had your car parked in a garage? Some of you are like, no, we got way too much junk. We can't fit our car in our garage. Thank you for illustrating my point even further. But the point is this, you actually have a house for your car. So if you drove in a vehicle this morning and you, last night your vehicle was parked in a garage, then you are wealthier than 95% of the people that are on this planet. But the bottom line is this, if, if you woke up this morning in this country, which I would assume that's the truth for all of us, you're blessed and you're rich. You're wealthy. Okay, so I just want to establish that because I don't want you to think, well, compared to so-and-so, I'm not rich. Well, but that's not the right comparison. You are wealthy. You are blessed. So command them that are, that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is the way that they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Everybody say heaven. Okay, that's what that's talking about. It's talking about the kingdom of God so that they may take, this is the biggest thing, this is the reason why we're doing this, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's so important for you to understand the only way that you're going to have the life that God has for you is if you live for his kingdom. You have to live with an eternal perspective, with a kingdom mindset. That's the only way that you're gonna ever truly enjoy life. I heard a story this last week of a man who was a wealthy Christian business owner, and he got involved with the Jesus Film Project. How many of you have ever heard of or are familiar with the Jesus Film Project? Okay, none of you. Wow. Okay, well, I'm glad I'm telling you about it then. In the 90s, a man named Bill Bright and a, and a kind of a group of, of Christian leaders got together and said, hey, we want to produce, we want to create, produce a film about the gospel, about Jesus. And uh, so they made this film, but the whole goal was to get this film translated because it's, it's narrated throughout the video, translated into as many languages as they possibly could. And so they've done that. And now the Jesus film has been reproduced in over 200 languages. And I've been uh, all over the world, every country I've been in, I've seen the impact of the Jesus film in every one of those nations. In fact, I would be as bold to say that it is the single most effective evangelistic tool that has ever been created in the church to this day. There have been more people impacted and evangelized through the Jesus film than even Billy Graham has done. 
promise you that. I've personally seen thousands of people get saved because of the Jesus film. Because they, and, and then like in the middle of a jungle, what they'll do is they'll just bring in a generator and they have a little projector and they'll set it up and hang a sheet and show the Jesus film and present the gospel and then, and then give an invitation. I've just seen people get saved over and over and over and over again. It's amazing. But one of the men that invested in that, he gave, it was over $30 million to this project over the course of three years. And, but after he'd invested, after he'd given this money, his business took a major hit, went into a major recession. He didn't have to file bankruptcy, but he almost lost everything. Uh, I mean, he, he got to a place where he was just struggling financially. And during that time, he went to one of his friends and he said, at least I know that all the money that I gave to the Jesus film is secure. I'll never lose that. And that is the right perspective. The right perspective is to understand that the only true security you will ever have is when you are invested in eternity, when you are invested in souls, and when you are invested in the things that win souls. That's the only way that you're ever gonna find that security. And one of the biggest ways that we get to participate in what God is doing in his kingdom is through our generosity. One of the biggest ways that we give God glory, which God getting glory is the way that his kingdom is built, is through us being generous. And and I think that God wants and deserves all the glory. He deserves it all. God wants to be number one in your life. He wants to win in that spot. He wants to be number one. It's just like sports. How many of you guys appreciate it when you can win at sports? I know you appreciate when your teams can win at sports. That's very clear. I, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm competitive. Like I, I, I am the parent that every one of my kids' games or activities, I am keeping score. I will let them know. I will still encourage them when they lose, but I will let them know, yes, you lost. Uh, because here's the thing. Some person might have said, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. But let's just be honest, that person probably never won anything in their life. And they're probably the person that came up with the idea of participation trophies and stuff like that. I'm probably gonna get an email about this, I don't care. Because at the end of the day, the truth is life itself and eternity is a competition. Jesus is competing against Satan for souls. We know who wins, but I just wanna let you know, I wanna win more souls than Satan wins. So I'm passionate about competing for them but I'm gonna teach my kids about that too. And even in our house, like if we sit down to play a board game or whatever, Cody's like this nice, sweet Christian person to let the kids win, not me. When we sit down, I'm gonna look them in the eyes and I'm like, you're going down today, sucker. You're going down. And I'm just, I, I just think it's important. Like they have to understand if you don't win, you get squat. It's just the way it is. And so I'm usually like that unless we're playing Monopoly. And then this sweet, pretty little lady up here will lie and manipulate and do whatever she has to do to send every one of our kids crying to their room. When it comes to Monopoly, she will do whatever it takes to win. I mean, she, she'll like take advantage of our seven-year-old and convince her that she's giving her a good deal by buying some piece of property. And I'm like, don't do it, Grayson, don't do it. And then she's like, sweetheart, don't you love me? 
don't you love me? You can trust me. And the next thing you know, she's out of the game and she's mad and crying and cutthroat. Y'all be praying for my wife. God wants to be number one. You know what he wants to win? Your whole heart. Not half, not most, all of your heart. That's what he wants to win. One of the biggest ways that we demonstrate that he's number one and that he has our whole heart is by building his kingdom through our generosity. Generosity is such a huge theme throughout the whole word of God. I want you to write some of these things down. This is pretty interesting to me. The word believe, how many of you would say that the word believe is a pretty important tenet of our faith, to believe, okay? Some of you would agree with that. That word is used 272 times. How about the word pray? Wouldn't you say that prayer is pretty important in our faith? I would suggest that it probably is. 371 times that word is used in the Bible. How about the word love? Come on, we can all agree on this. The word love, it's like, it's like what it's all about. It's our faith. There's no other faith, there's no other religion that isn't based on works. Every other religion is based on works, what, we, what they can do, how they can earn their way to whatever their form of heaven is, but not our faith because it's about love. That word is used 714 times. The word give. This word is used 2,161 times in the word of God. Why? I think it's because it's pretty important. Because this is the nature of God. He gives. If, If we want to participate in his kingdom, it has to be a part of our nature too. But I want to clarify something right off the bat because you can always start sensing tension in a room when you start talking about two things, how to raise your kids and your money. I am not communicating to you right now because we want your money. I'm communicating to you about this right now for the same reason that I have to tell you about forgiveness, about repentance, about prayer, about blessings, about anything else in your life. The reason why I'm teaching you this right now is because I want you living your best life. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, if I say that I love you, I have to teach you God's perspective and what the word says about giving and generosity. It says this in Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I love that promise because just like so many other subjects that we would learn about from the word. You know who this ultimately winds up helping more than anyone? You. If you are willing to refresh someone else, I promise you, you will be refreshed. You cannot outgive God. He wants to refresh you. But I also know this, if this isn't your goal, then your relationships will hurt too. I want you to write this down too. I think this is so important because I've seen this over and over again. You will either love money and use people or you will love people and use money to help people. 
That's the way you're going to live your life. And the word says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it. Why? Because it is actually the opposite of God's character. To not give. It's one of the things that builds strong relationships. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I'm always trying to get my kids to understand this. It's a hard thing to teach kids about this. We just had Halloween. How many of y'all parents, you get frustrated when you got a kid that's carrying around a big old box of candy, you know, big old box of candy, and you ask them for some, and they give you one, one. Look, when my kids do that, I want to take the box away from them, give them the one, and just say, you just learned about the IRS. Congratulations. This is what it looks like. <laughs> Rest of your life. What I want them to understand is I have the ability to rain hundreds of pounds of that candy down on their heads. If they would be willing to be generous, man, oh, when your kids are generous, if you're a parent, you understand that when your kid is generous, you want to hook that kid up. When they're selfish, when they're little crumb snatchers, they're like, I ain't giving you nothing. Which doesn't make us necessarily great parents that we feel that way. But God loves it when we sow. Ah, just more. Here you go. Here you go. Whatever it, I just want to give. I've been given so much. So I want to look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, it's kind of a long passage of Scripture, and I'll give you a little bit of context. There's, I can't give you all the context, but so much of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth have to do with generosity. And all of second, a lot of 2 Corinthians is talking about generosity and, and, a, and a big reason why, because the church in Corinth was one of the richest churches that Paul had ministered to. And the, the church was, it was young. The body of Christ was young and, and there were several churches that because of persecution, a lot of different reasons, they were struggling. They were struggling financially. And so Paul is trying to provoke jealousy in the church in Corinth by comparing them to a different church that's really poor, like the poorest of all the churches. And he's trying to get them to, to see the heart and to see the motive of the generosity of this poor church in hopes that they'll see it and see what they have so that they can help build the church, support the kingdom of God. And in this, he's trying to get them to get away from what, what shuts down generosity more than anything is when you don't have the right motive. If you feel obligated to give, if it is a religious thing for you to give, more than likely you will never understand true generosity. And, and so the church in Corinth had gotten into that place where they, they, they were kind of doing some things out of obligation instead of after, out of just a true innocent motivation. And so this is really focusing on the internal motivation of generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace. Everybody say grace. grace. 
that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welds up in rich generosity. Okay, so it doesn't seem like, those, those things don't seem like they should fit together. Like, out of this place of, of persecution and trial and extreme poverty, welled up generosity. Welled up generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, which was one of the leaders of the, the Corinthian church, since he had earlier made a, a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And when I read that, I think of you. Like you guys, so many faithful people around here. They're serving and we're growing in authenticity and genuine relationship with others and, and all these things. But, but it's also been always in my prayer that we'd be a campus that experienced and live in a place of supernatural generosity. In other words, it wouldn't ever, like people would look at the generosity of our church and be like, that's not natural. It's supernatural. That we would excel in this grace of giving. And I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. What's so inspiring about this passage is just the attitude of the Macedonians. It's like, whoa. These guys, it's challenging. God is far more interested in your attitude than he is about the amount. And generosity at its core should never be a duty or an obligation. It's a matter of the heart. So I want to talk about the heart around this. Four things from this passage of scripture. First of all, I think it's important that we give joyfully. Give joyfully. This is what Jesus said about in Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In the Greek, that word blessed is the word makarios, which literally means happy. To be happy. And it's true. Look, the most generous people I know are also the most happy people I know. 
they are a blast to hang out with. And not just because they're generous, although being around generous people is fun to do because they're generous, but because they're fun. They have joy. They have peace. They laugh a lot because they understand this. Generosity is fun. And 2 Corinthians 9 and 7 says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, that word cheerful is the word hilarious, which is where we get the word hilarious. <laughs> like they laugh. They're giddy to give. Like I, I think we probably, you probably experienced that with your kids, right? Christmas or some gift you gave them for a birthday, whatever. Man, have you ever given and you were just giddy to do it? You couldn't wait to do it. You would laugh around this. That's the heart of God. That's the Holy Spirit and the way he wants to give. And Proverbs 21, 26 says this, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Great quote from Winston Churchill. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. You'll never get to experience that kind of life without generosity. Also give willingly. Give willingly. In 2 Corinthians 8, 12, it says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. So I get this question from time to time in regards to tithing. The question is, isn't tithing an Old Testament law principle? The answer is yes. So a lot of times that question is followed up with, well, then are we required to tithe? Required to tithe in the New Testament? The answer is no. But let's talk about the New Testament church, okay? Because the word says that the early church, the New Testament church gave everything they had. Okay, so but let's, put, let's put a percentage around this. Most Bible theologians believe that the early church, the early church would give 90, at least 90% of everything they had back to the body of Christ, back to the church, 90%. So if you are hung up on percentages, let's just get some perspective. At the end of the day, God is not hung up on the percentage but how were they able to give so much? Because they were not under the law. They were under grace. They gave from a place of grace. I also want to be clear on this. When Jesus came, he didn't come to get rid of the law. In fact, he said, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, the law didn't disappear, but the motive changed. And that's what needs to change sometimes in us too. It's just our heart. It's our motive. We don't give because we have to. We get to give. We get to give. Another example, under the law, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, but... We're not going around not committing adultery because of the law. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine some 
Jezebel-spirited person coming up and trying to convince me to commit adultery. And I'm like, sorry, can't do it. There's this law in the Old Testament that says that I shouldn't do that, so sorry. No. First of all, that never happens because my wife prays every one of those people out and away from me. I'm convinced of that. I'm not gonna commit adultery because I love my wife. I love her. I love her. I get to love her. I want to love her. I don't commit adultery because I've experienced the love of Jesus and I love and get to try to express the same love that Christ had for me to this woman. I also don't do it because she's good with knives and handguns and it scares me a little bit. (laughs) We're not under the law. We're under grace. That should motivate us to live in a graceful way. But some of you, I understand this. Some of you, it's like, man, 10%, the tithe. It's just, I'm barely making. I can barely, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and you're telling me I need to bring 10%. And I need to bring it first. I, I need to, before I do anything else, I've got a 10%. I'm not hung up and God's not hung up on the percentage. He wants your heart. And so here, if, if, if all you can do with any amount of confidence is to take a step towards trusting him with all of your heart and that's 5%, then give him 5%. If all you can do in trusting him and stepping out in faith and confidence that he's got you, he's got your back and you can lean on on him and not on your own understanding is to give 3%, then give 3%. At the end of the day, God wants your heart. But I know this for a fact. Whatever amount or percentage that you trust him with, as soon as you start doing that, you're gonna experience a supernatural grace on your life. You will want to give more. You'll want to, because you're gonna be under this thing. It's like, gosh, this is joy. This is peace. This is fulfillment. Give selflessly. Give selflessly. The problem is it's not our nature. It's our nature to be selfish. If you need proof, all I need to do is show you video of the three-year-old room over here. You'd be convinced real quick because I promise you those kids are not in there like, oh, here, yeah, take my toy. Here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys take all my goldfish. I don't want them. Freely I've been given and freely I give to you, brothers and sisters. No. We got deputies on site. One of the reasons why we have deputies on site is if a fight breaks out in the three-year-old room, we're sending them in there. You don't want to mess with it. Somebody will get cut up in that place. Because we're selfish. We just, we want to hold on to what we feel like is, is ours. But the Macedonians, and Paul's talking about these guys, he said they did not do what we expected but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Okay, so here's the thing. You could give financially, but it's not sacrificial and it's not selfless. And so it's not really the point. This is you understanding like, I'm, my life doesn't belong to me. 
They gave of themselves. This is one of the things I think I like the most about giving is it just represents me, my hard work, my money, but my time. And when you give, this is not just money. You give by giving your time, by serving, by doing these things. This is all a part of this generosity. But just giving. This whole discussion in 2 Corinthians it finishes with this in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is, this is what should motivate us. Thank God people have decided to give. They're giving out of, of an understanding of what they've been given. The truth is every one of us that are sitting in this room right now, we're able to sit in this room because of someone else's generosity. We're in this building right now because somebody stepped up and said, yeah, I want to give to that. You're sitting in the chair that you're sitting in right now because somebody said, I'm willing to give above and beyond my tithe. How many guys like sitting in chairs in church? I think it's a nice thing. I appreciate it. But it's even more than that. Because for some of you, it's the fruit of what people are doing in little life. They're giving of themselves. In kid life, they're giving of themselves. In 412, they're giving of themselves. You were, find, you were able to find a parking spot because someone said, I want to give of myself to do this. We have coffee, praise Jesus, because somebody was willing to say, I can show up to church early and serve people in this way. People giving of themselves. I'm so thankful for the people who gave generously and do give generously so that we can have what we have as a church family. I'm so thankful for that. Now think about what life would look like. Think about what our services would look like. Think about what the world would look like if people just decided, no, somebody else can do that. It's not my thing. Think about if, if, if Noah has said, sorry, I don't do boats. It's just not my thing. And if David has said, sorry, I don't do giants. They're big and scary. If Mary had said, sorry, I don't do virgin births. It's just kind of weird. <laughs> if Paul had said, I don't do letters. Not my thing. If Pastor Rick and Michelle had said, sorry, I don't do church plants. If serve groups said, I don't do nurseries or parking or coffee, production. Aren't you grateful that Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses? Every one of us are the fruit of someone else's generosity. I'm so thankful that people gave it themselves. And the last thing is this, give thankfully. Give thankfully. In 2 Corinthians, there's eight mentions of this phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What has he done for me? Listen, it's hard for you to give what you don't have. It is hard for you to express what you haven't experienced. And so the reality is, if you haven't experienced what Jesus has done for you, you can't express what he's done for you through generosity. 
there is this story of this woman, it's in all four of the Gospels, who had gotten set free, delivered of demons, and healed, and was working in Jesus' ministry. And one day, when Jesus was having a meal at someone's home, she came in unannounced with this expensive jar, an alabaster jar. And, and this is like this very expensive oil perfume, basically. And, and in this moment of extravagant worship and love, she takes this jar in the middle of this room, in the middle of this meal, and she begins pouring it on the feet of Jesus, which in, in Middle Eastern cultures, Eastern cultures, the feet are the most dirty, unholy part of any person's body. So her willingness to be there at the feet of Jesus. She's doing this and then begins to sob in thankfulness, crying so much so that she's, she's almost embarrassed. And so she starts using her hair to try to dry and clean Jesus's feet. I don't know about you, but if I was in that room, I'd be like, awkward. Like we can read about it, but if you were in the room, you're like, this is weird. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is that we, we've relinquished ourselves to our level of generosity to something that makes sense. That isn't uncomfortable. <laughs> that doesn't take sacrifice. Maybe our We've limited our worship to a song, and the words of a song. And that demonstration was, this is my life. And people criticize her for it. It's like, this is crazy. That jar of alabaster was worth over a year's wages. Can you imagine? Imagine taking your yearly salary and in some way pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. Why? Why did she do that? Jesus talked about it. And Luke 7, 47 says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. If you don't understand, if you forget, you lose perspective of what Jesus did for you, and then I understand you can't give what you haven't experienced. And I think it has to start there. It has to start with you. It has to start with you remembering and understanding what Jesus has done for you. Some of you experiencing it for the first time. I'm always trying to teach our kids about giving, even tithing, and it's hard. <laughs> I know you guys think that because I'm the pastor, like when I teach my kids on biblical principles, they're like, yes, Father. Oh, we humbly receive your words as wisdom and knowledge and show us the way and we will walk in it. No, my kids are kids. And so sometimes they're like, Dad, 
Why do we give so much to the church and this and that and our time? I could try to explain to them, but really the, the easiest thing for me to do is just tell them my testimony. I'm the leader of our family. I make the decisions about how we give and how much we give. And the reason why I do what I do and I give what I give is because this is what Jesus has done for me. See, Jesus set me free from habitual sin. He set me free from fear and insecurity. He's healed me more times than I can count. He's healed me emotionally. He's healed me physically. But the biggest thing is, I was a slave to sin and he set me free. So it's the least that we can do. And the truth is, it's not even ours. To give would suggest that it was ever mine and I just don't see it that way. It's never been mine. It's always been his. <laughs> I don't mind giving some of it back. But this is my conviction. I'm not trying to put that conviction. I promise you with all my heart, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty or manipulated. I really want God's best for you. But, but for some of you, it has to start with a surrender to who he is. If you've never accepted the gift of salvation through Jesus, you'll never truly understand what I'm talking about. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here today, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, or maybe you did, I find that in any service, there's usually four basic types of people. There are some people that are here and they're not even sure why they're here and you can't wait to leave and you know you're lost and you don't care. And I'm so glad that you're here because some of you that think that way right now, this moment is for you. And then there's some of you, 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 you drifted. You drifted so you're just not sure. You're not confident about where you stand with God. And some of you, you're here because it's a religious act but it's cold and empty. Well, you're very similar to the first and second person, honestly. And then there are people that are here that love Jesus, know that they belong to him and you're ready for eternity. But this moment is, it's for the first three. You're away from him, you know it, you've drifted away from him, you're just unsure. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is showing you that you've been doing all the religious things, but you've never had a relationship. And if you're any one of those people, Jesus came and he did what he did for you. And he would have done it just for you. And if you're in a place where you're willing to say, hey, I, I admit I'm away from God and I need him. I'm gonna give you a chance just to confess that that's you and I'm not gonna embarrass you or point you out, but the word says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth 
then you can be saved. And so if you're willing to confess, just to admit, that's me, and I need Jesus. Nobody looking around. I want you to put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. But you're ready to make a decision for him. Got it, got it, got it. Anybody else? I'm just away from him. I'm away from him. Got it. Yes, ma'am. You got it, buddy. You raising your hand doesn't get you saved, but you raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. You raise your hand. It's just a confession. Got it. I'm just confessing. I'm willing to be bold enough between me, you, and God. I'm just, I admit. And that physical act of your will, I know that God is going to show up with a portion of grace you've never experienced before. Just being willing to say, I'm away from him and I need him. I don't want to just do the church thing. I don't want to do the religious thing. I don't want to do my own thing. I want to experience relationship with Jesus. Anybody else? Okay. Father God, I thank you for those few folks who raise their hand. Thank you for meeting with them right now. And if you raise your hand, this is what I want you to do. You don't have to say this prayer super loud. You can say it in your own heart. I, th I think it'd be great if you could say it loud enough for your own ears to hear it. But at some point you need to tell somebody you made this decision. I'd encourage you to tell somebody as soon as the service is over, get water baptized next week. We're gonna have an opportunity for you to do that. And it's just a way for you to declare publicly, I'm a Christ follower. I've given my life to him. And I encourage you to do that. But right there, just talk to God and say, God, I know that I've made so many mistakes that I can't even count. And I know that I, I've sinned. And I know that my sin, it, it separates me from you. But you sent your son, Jesus, and I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I thank you that he, he actually rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated my sin. And, and I'm also thankful that, that because I'm de declaring him as my Lord and Savior right now, that I have the hope of heaven. And I, I'm excited about that. But I also thank you that You've got something for me right now. I don't know all about that, but I want to grow in an understanding of your plan and your purpose for my life. Help me to understand more of your word. Help me to be connected with other believers that can help me grow and challenge me in my faith. And God, just lead me by your spirit and, and growing in an understanding of your love. Lord, for all of us, help us just to continue to grow in who we are in you. And out of the overflow of that, we would participate in the grace of giving, generosity. We'd just be known as a people that live that way for your glory and for your kingdom, but also so that we get to experience life, life to the fullest that you came to give us, Jesus. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Let's give God a hand for the folks who made a decision for Jesus. Welcome to the family. We love you.